Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. And yes, we are on another episode here with a great cast. This week, we're having a discussion specifically, especially with all that's going on in the world over the past year. And let's be very clear, that's been going on in the world for centuries now, if not thousands of years. And that is with sexual violence, sexual assault, survivors, and mindfulness. Uh, can is that possible? How do you have that in your life? If it is possible, how can we be mindful of survivors? How can we survivors get to experience mindfulness in their own lives? And we have three wonderful people here to be able to have that conversation and drive that conversation. So we're going to let you meet our cast right now. That is Christine Babinick, Jennifer Gonzalez, which known as Dr. Jen. You'll hear me call her Jen today. And Susan Brueggemann, I want each of you to introduce yourself so the audience can really learn about you. Christine, we got to meet just a month ago uh, at an event I was doing in Portland. If you could introduce yourself. Sure. My name is Christine Babinick, though I go by Chris. And I'm a licensed professional counselor, a national certified counselor, and my entire career in practice has been devoted to working with sexual assault survivors and trauma survivors. Awesome. And you've written a book also on, on consent for very young children. That's right. It just sort of um, came about one day, I think, uh, last year. I've been working with survivors for so long and of all ages, so um, babies through um, late adulthood and um, this this prevention piece came pouring out of me one day, I think probably as a self-care or necessary part of my work in um, in what I do. So, yeah, it's really exciting, and thank you for mentioning it. Absolutely. Uh, many people out there know her as Dr. Jen. Jen, uh, if you could tell them what you do. Yeah, uh, Dr. Jen Gonzalez, I am a sociologist with a specialty in sex and gender um, and a sexologist. I'm in San Diego, uh, so I do a variety of things as a sex and intimacy coach, a speaker, a writer um, on a variety of topics from erotic play to sexual consent to um, you know, healthy relationships and communication, and I use mindfulness and compassion at the core of all of my work and teaching. Awesome. And Susan. Hi, yes, I'm Susan Bergeman, and I am uh, a healer a graduate of the Barbara Brennan School of Healing, the only four-year energy school there is in the world, actually. Uh, I'm a speaker, a coach, an oracle, and I run a, a, a support group for Women Helping Women here in Cincinnati. It's a nonprofit that helps women who are survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Well, I want to thank all three of you for joining us today. I think we're going to have a great conversation here. I want to dive right into it. Why is or is mindfulness important in the life of a survivor of sexual assault or sexual violence? Um, I'd be happy to start with that. 
I think um, one thing I talk to survivors about all the time is that um, we do a lot of psychoeducation, so helping survivors understand what happens in the brain and the body post-trauma. And two hallmarks of trauma, even, you know, the diagnostic criteria for PTSD are a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. So a primary task of healing and recovery for us in our work is to help people restore or grow um, a sense of safety, empowerment, and hope. And so mindfulness is usually a crucial or primary aspect of this recovery, but it's also incredibly challenging given the changes in the brain post-trauma. So um, I think that's why mindfulness is so important in the work that we do, but it can also be one of the most challenging things that we do with our clients. A lot of times our clients are, um, they don't feel safe in their body anymore. So if we're calling attention to the body or to the breath, uh, especially a lot of people focus on the breath and mindfulness, and this can be an enormous trigger. So I think when we talk about mindfulness with sexual assault survivors, we have to take a different approach. Uh, yeah, to build a little bit on what Christine's saying, just a, a slightly different perspective also. I think there's, you know, there's so much shame and embarrassment that can live in folks after going through some sort of um, sexual assault experience uh, personally and societally. Um, and so mindfulness and the aspect of the, the somatic aspect of mindfulness, you know, where are you, where are you feeling this in you and where does it live in you? Um, and realizing, yeah, you know, your, your body's just, just doing what it's trained to do um, to try to, you know, protect you from, from future situations um, and to be able to stay, you know, present with that discomfort um, and, 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 and learn those mindfulness skills of breathing through it. Um, I think that can, you know, help dissipate because shame, you know, shame is, is horrible feeling inside of us and definitely makes us want to bury our heads in the sand and, and not interact with the world. Um, and so mindfulness definitely of that presence with, you know, where it's showing up in you can help folks get the, the courage to stay present and move forward and, and keep showing up in the world every day. Well, and you bring up a powerful word there, which is shame. And I know some people listening, uh, these words can be triggering, you know, so somebody listening can say, are you saying that a survivor should feel shame? Well, shame, of course, we're not saying that what we're referring to is that many do because of how our society treats survivors. It places shame in there and people do experience it very much and it can drive a lot of things. So it's really important as we have the discussion today, we'll bring up words and we all understand on on this discussion that any of these words can be triggering and know that we're discussing the reality of what people can feel, not we're saying what people should be feeling or should feel blame or guilt or shame or responsibility. Because of course, anybody that's talking on this show knows that it's the extreme opposite. The only one responsible is the one who, you know, committed the crime. That's the the person. But we're talking about the real feelings people are having in this moment as a survivor. Yes. And I've actually seen that shame is the glue that holds the trauma in place. I have found in group process, having that opportunity to really speak about what's really going on with them and releasing some of that shame opens up um, a, a lot of safety for them. So how do you dive into this conversation? Because Chris, you were saying, you know, even bringing up the breath can trigger. And so they don't want to, fo- how do you do that? Or do you know we might trigger here? This is part of the, ju- the journey of the process. Or is it, no, we're going to try to make sure we don't trigger here. 
Yeah, I would say we avoid trigger as much as possible unless we're in a contained environment like a therapy office or until someone has mastered some more elementary skills. And so I think what I recommend and what a lot of people who do the work recommend is very micro moments of mindfulness. So the very basic points of mindfulness, um, just taking a stock for a second of who and how am I doing? Oh, am I doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing all right. That's great. Good. I'm safe right now. And that's a great mindful moment for a survivor. Just getting a lot, a lot of um, micro moments of I'm safe right now. And that's going to balance out that, that cognitive piece of I'm never safe. Um, and also just so we do the check-in. How am I doing? And if I'm not doing well, can I apply another mindful technique um, in that moment? Can I do some stretching? Can I notice the birds outside? Can I notice the trees outside? Something to ground us. And then check in again. How am I doing now? Well, I feel better now. That's wonderful. Now I'm exerting control, right? Control was stripped um, from a, a survivor during a moment of trauma. And so we're getting lots and lots of micro moments of control, grounding, before we say get into those longer, deeper moments of mindfulness. I love that, right? You're building a foundation and a groundwork. For them, yeah. for them to feel them safe. To feel I just, safe. I, just I, love I love the language. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Uh, and, and and I think and the I perception think people have is that, is that some people listening may be thinking, "Well, I'm not a therapist. I'm not working with them in that environment. Uh, how do I help my family member, my friend through this?" Because we all know family and friends can sometimes be the worst in these moments because they want to jump to the solution. They want to fix the person. Right? Can you? And they and they want to tell someone that they're okay. You're okay right now. And if a survivor's not feeling okay or they're hyper-aroused, and hyper-aroused obviously meaning, you know, hearts racing, sweating, um, looking over my shoulder all the time, if someone's telling you in that moment, a friend or a family member, it's okay, you're okay right now, and they're not having that experience, it's, it's yeah, exactly what you said. It's, it's the worst possible thing that can happen in that moment. <laughs> so we really want to give the... You know, I recommend to fan, friends and family members, hey, listen to what their experience is, acknowledge it, validate it, and also just offer support. A lot of what you talk about in your date safe program. Right, that, that, that you're strong, you're courageous, and I'm here for you. Not here's yes. the solution. You have to do this. You have to do this. You better go do this because right. that's dictation. That That's telling me what to do and taking away my choice. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, I also find that survivors are often put in a position where they have to take care of their family members. They have to make them feel okay about what is going on. And actually, right then, they just need to be taking care of themselves. So one of the things that we offer in our support group of pamphlets that give information to the, the family members and the friends that could just hand that to them so that it can go and do their own process, their own therapy, with whatever situation has happened. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. And is there, are there pamphlets or are there resources that you think that can be helpful for parents? Because you mentioned in, in your organization, is there a website that's great for that, for helping family to understand what can I do here? I want to do the right thing. They don't want to do harm. They don't realize often when they're doing harm that doesn't okay it or excuse it. But how can we help those listening who are trying to support the survivor? Yes, well, the, the uh, organization that I work for is Women Helping Women. And they are on the web, and they have a hotline. So anybody can call at any time, actually. And you can actually just give the hotline number to them, 
um, and say, you know, why don't you just give them a call? I can't help you with this right now because I got to take care of me, but these people can uh, point you in the direction of some help for you. It sounds like you're speaking from the survivor, but I don't want to assume you're saying the survivor is saying, Hey, why don't you call this group? I, I'm, I can't really answer all these questions right now, or I'm trying to take care of me right now. And I know you have a lot of questions. I know you want to help, but here's a great phone number you can call to learn more about what I'm going through. Is that the, absolutely okay. Cause I could, I didn't want to make sure somebody wasn't thinking you're saying to a survivor, Hey, why don't you just call this number? I can't really take care of you right now. Um, oh, so, no, 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 which no. I, I no. <laughs> yeah, you know, in my line of work, people, it's amazing how many times people say, Hey, listen to that one thing you said, or they said on the show, I can't believe they said it that way. So I just always try to provide clarity um, for the listener to make sure we're understanding who's saying that. Uh, I don't want this to be an example of mansplaining where I'm re-explaining what someone just said. Uh, I love it. Um, I have uh, another thing to add that, you know, I I help both survivors and their friends and family with, which I'm sure the other folks on the call here do as well, which is helping survivors understand which state they're in and what type of mindful activity to engage in. So, for example, survivors often bounce back and forth between a hyper-aroused state or a hypo aroused state and they're not very often in you know that sweet spot that window of tolerance of well things aren't maybe what i'd like but i'm okay they very often go outside of that and, and they're not okay on either side so helping them understand am i hyper aroused do i have a lot going on in my body um you know i can feel that heartbeat i can feel that sweat i can feel that muscle tension i can feel that um deer in the headlight so even if i'm not moving there's a lot going on internally or am i in that more um, collapse state, that hypo-aroused state, not a lot going on. And so when we think about mindfulness, oftentimes people associate that with relaxation or quietness, but I find a lot of survivors spend a lot of time in that hyper-aroused state, and they may need to do something more active, um, more active mindful movement, say a, a walking meditation um, or moving their body and paying attention to moving their body and having control over that body. So really helping them understand what state am I in and which mindful type of activity to apply. And that way, too, friends and family can help prompt, hey, I notice this. Is that true for you? Yeah, that's true for me. Hey, well, maybe we could try some of these activities. What do you think? And really, again, giving back that control like you were saying earlier, Mike. I just love everything you're saying, <laughs> Christine. I love the variety of the uh, mindfulness options. Um, but all about being being present with, okay, so, you know, where are you right now? And accepting, like, this is where I am right now. And I have choices of then what can make, um, you know, what make, you know, may shift my energy or what may make me feel better right now, but all honoring exactly where I am right now um, and that I can make choices around that. I think it's great. How do we help the person who is on the body unawareness? In other words, and I'm not speaking from a sexual violence viewpoint. I'm speaking from a completely different viewpoint. Uh, I'll give you an example that's me. Uh, and that is that when I started working with a personal trainer, because of my travel and all, I need to realize, hey, I got to take care of my body when I'm traveling. They said, Mike, what do you feel when you're stressed in your body? And I'm like, I don't feel anything. And they're like, okay, you must feel it somewhere. I'm like, nope, no, I don't. And <laughs> what happened was my body had been trained for so long to not feel it. Because if mm -hmm. it felt it, it might impact performance. And if I have to be, if I'm wiped out and tired and exhausted and I'm expected to be on that stage in five minutes, I have to perform. 
And so the mm-hmm. body learned to not let me feel it. And it took mm-hmm. me time to start to feel, oh, wait, yeah, there, when I'm aware of it, there's a soreness there. Or when I'm more sensitive to the world. So I, I, is there a journey for some to even get to the place to understand the, the answer to what's my body feeling right now? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think that we can call um, what someone was saying earlier. I'm sorry, I, I don't know which one of you said it, but call attention to that somatic experience. And, and I know what you're saying is it's really hard to tease that out. I think it is especially hard for athletes. Um, I think it's a little bit easier for a lay person or someone who's not um, – you know, working to that level physically. Um, I think I call attention a lot to people, you know, how close are their shoulders to their ears? You know, um, you can buy a $20 pulse ox on Amazon and track your pulse and your oxygenation. That gives you a sense of where you're at if that's a possibility for people. I want to pause right there because that's brilliant. A lot of people get the pulse concept, right? Is my heart rate up? Is my pulse up? But you brought pulse ox, which is different for those of us who are aware of it. That's the oxygen levels in the blood. That's different than the pulse itself. Can you explain? Right. Can you explain what numbers would be concerning for those who are going? What are you talking about, pulse ox? <laughs> sure. Um, and I'm not a doctor. I want to be really clear about that. I'm not a medical doctor. Um, but you know, usually we want to see at least 98 to 100 percent oxygenation in the blood. And if someone is breathing shallowly and rapidly they may not be getting that oxygenation. They may dip lower than, say, 98%. And, and really, you want to be 97 to 100. Um, I, I think um, that, that's my knowledge of the situation. So it's a great little indicator of you know, how you're breathing, how deeply you're breathing, how slowly you're breathing, and how much oxygenation you have in there. And, of course, the pulse going along with it is, is just a nice assist. So. When it also, what I love about it, it creates a benchmark. I found what uh, helps with some folks that are trying to, because I've had lots of clients that are like, I, I don't know what you mean to feel it in my body. Um, and, you know, using something like like a mindfulness bell app that goes off just at various times of the day. Um, and that just randomly, you know, breaks folks out of whatever they're doing in their day. Um, with a little bell chime, and then for them to check in and be like, okay, what, am I feeling anything? Oh, yeah, you know what, I just got off that phone call, and I was so frustrated with that person I was talking to in this work phone call, and I totally, like, I could still feel the tension in my shoulders, and I could still feel, like, the warmth in my face, or, you know, it goes off, and you're driving in your traffic, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm running late, Um, yeah, I could feel a little bit of that anxiety in my chest or, you know, or you're interacting with your partner and you have this great laughing moment and you can actually feel warmth in your chest from the joy of that interaction. And so I think anything that helps us interrupt us just being in our kind of zombie state of moving through the day um, and that breaks us out of it. And then we can reflect like, okay, yeah, what is there anything showing up for me or has there been anything you know, recently that I could still feel in me and then start to realize, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. We just, you know, you just may not be in tune to it as it's happening. And what I love about that is you look at like Brene Brown and her writing and what the talk in there is that we numb ourselves and we look for something to numb. And and, often we can numb ourselves by finding something to do with our brain. And so I think a good indicator is you could ask yourself, how often did I go on Facebook today? Because that's often a numbing device. 
right? Uh, my brain is bored or is feeling something, so I'm going to deal with it by going into social media. It's a very common move for most of us uh, if we engage in social media. So it's, sometimes it's what am I doing with my time that can show me an indicator. Uh, do I have to be busy? Why? <laughs> you know, those, those kind of questions. And I, I think, uh, you know, I work with probably some of the more severe cases than, than maybe some of the other folks are seeing. And, and, but they, have, they probably also experience this in their groups and, and in, in personal contact with their, their patients and friends and family, which is, yes, uh, I think people who have been traumatized, people who have been, have been assaulted are trying to avoid parts of self, the parts that experience the trauma, the frightened self, maybe the regressed self. And, and sometimes um, it's okay to allow people to do that and, mm -hmm. and to, to let them, you know, exercise that fight, flight, freeze or collapse response, but in a more controlled and in a purposeful way rather than in, um, in a mindless way. And so that they can exercise something that maybe they couldn't do at the time, but that also gives them some support and, and exercises those muscles and gets that amygdala working correctly again. And just, you know, what the um, other person was saying earlier about mindful moments throughout the day. So my clients would, would probably be startled or triggered by a bell going off if they didn't know it was going off, which I think is an excellent technique, by the way, for people who are farther down the road, but for mm -hmm. some of the newer survivors, um, you know, they like routine predictability. And so my recommendation to them for anyone who's listening that's kind of newer um, in, in their recovery is, you know, just to set those times of, you know, 9, 12, 3, 6, and 9 o'clock before you go to bed to do those check-ins so that it's predictable, you know, you can count on it, and um, it's just going to be part of your routine. And how do we help, because we've had some great conversation on what can be the struggles here and what are ways we can identify and beginning levels of mindfulness. I can imagine some people might be thinking and wanting to ask the four of us, really the three of you, why do I want to? What's the reward? What's the benefit of mindfulness as a survivor? Yeah, excellent question. I think that um, one thing that trauma strips from us is curiosity. Um, because we, you know, in order to reestablish, we need predictability and we need safety and, but curiosity lights us up so much in the most pleasurable and wonderful ways. Even if we're curious about, you know, how, how much is this flower bloomed? Is it all the way bloomed? Is it just blooming? And, you know, we get excited about little things that we don't realize unconsciously every day. So I think the payoff and the benefit is re-exciting our sense of curiosity and our sense of intellectual curiosity, but also emotional curiosity in a safe way. I think that's probably the biggest payoff. Well, for, for me, that I find that uh, a lot of survivors spend uh, quite a bit of time out of their body. Uh, Mike, you were talking about not feeling, not knowing what the sensations were in your body. And I find that that happens quite often for survivors. Um, the kinds of things that they do notice in their body, though, are anxiousness. Um, Anxiousness to the point of panic attacks for some people, heart racing, head spinning, you know. So doing, having some tools, some mindfulness tools that they can use can help bring that energy down because that's all that is. That energy is just around your heart or around your head um, as you're leaving your body. So giving some really good grounding techniques, um, even, you know, 
putting your foot on a rock and allowing yourself to stand on it and notice what that feels like will bring all of that energy down into your body so that you can deal with life. Yeah, beautiful. And I, I think, too, talking about, um, you know, bringing yourself back into your body, mindfulness mitigates against some of the other symptoms that, that sexual assault survivors experience, such as flashbacks, dissociation. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness bolsters that sense of control through giving us observation, experimentation, and regulation. And so we can say, oh, I'm here, I'm now, I'm safe, nothing bad is happening to me. I can connect with this other person right now. And so I guess the connection piece is other, you know, is the other huge piece is being able to reconnect with our friends and family and say, oh, hi, you're a safe person. Excellent. I can be with you and I can be here now. And that can apply to intimacy, the sexual intimacy. Yes. I mean, there's, other, there's many forms of intimacy, but particularly the sexual intimacy to begin that process to feel safe with a person mindfulness, I I would imagine, can have a lot to do with that process. Yeah, and not just sexual intimacy, but also the, um, you know, if if we're thinking about mindfulness and more of a multicultural or uh, like a cultural competency uh, frame of reference, you know, Americans and, and white Americans in particular kind of celebrate rugged individualism. But for other communities and for communities of color, you may see more interest in recovery and healing coming through being with other people. And so absolutely sexual intimacy, but also for our, our patients and friends of color and family of color, it is critical at times to be with other people and to recover with the support of other people. That is not a lonely journey. And wouldn't that be true of, of really any – you could be true of anybody from any culture because just – because yes. the, the white American culture has taught rugged individualism doesn't mean it's healthy <laughs> to have to think yeah. that I have to fall into rugged <laughs> individualism. Yeah, I 100% agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, and that is, in fact, part of the psychoeducation piece that we – that we, you know, often work with our patients with, but, but many, many patients buy into that and they want to kind of have this journey be a singular journey, an individual journey. And, and it can be a challenge to have them include other people in in their support system. That makes sense. And like we said, it's got to be an individual choice, right? That's what this is. Yes. This is all about. And so Jen, what do you find about that? We talked, we briefly went into there on the sexual intimacy, but I know that's an area you work specifically on. So I want to make sure we had that included in the show. Uh, and so how do you see that uh, impact? Yeah. And I think, you know, for, I would say, you know, for folks that are, are wanting to, to have safe um, and connected intimacy and uh, sex life uh, with a trusted partner, you know, working with folks like Christine and Susan need to be a vital part um, of that journey. And then you know, as you're down the road, you know, it's all of the same topics that have been talked about. You know, there needs to be safety in the moment, a sense of control, a sense of choice, um, of having a voice, of being heard and understood, Um, you know, and so, you know, talking to your partner and sharing any main triggers that you have. For example, you know, I worked with somebody a while ago, she just couldn't have anybody come up uh, behind her sexually. And it's like, please do not ever, you know, initiate coming up from behind for me. Um, cause you're, you're definitely going to trigger me and that's not, that's not a place of safety for me. So, um, and I loved, you know, that piece of Christine said around curiosity, um, that absolutely of cultivating curiosity of being present with this partner that you're with, knowing that you have choice, um, you're, you're choosing to be there. You have a voice, 
you're you know you're safe with this person you're in con you know continual communication with them you can be curious about their body you can be curious about your own body and your sexual responses um, and then that mindfulness piece of always using your five senses to anchor yourself in the moment to be like I am you know, with your, you know, feeling the sheets and feeling your partner and smelling a candle or having music and specifically having intentional things in your environment around your five senses that help anchor you in that moment, that moment that you're choosing to be there um, and that you're with a partner that's listening and communicating with you. Um, so as to, yes, yeah, so as to build up safety and trust in your body around being, being sexual and being vulnerable um, with someone else in a sexual space and to know it's okay to, to, to not know the answer, right? Because yeah. in curiosity, we're not always going to know the answer. It's very possible that for this isn't just survivors. This is society as a whole. A lot of people don't know what their healthy sexuality is, right? They don't, right. they don't know real healthy sexuality. They've never experienced. They've never learned it. They've never taught it. So if somebody says, well, what, you know, how do you feel safest? I don't know what you mean. Right. That, that can be true of a survivor and somebody who's not a survivor. So it's OK to know you don't know. But you, the key is that you feel safe in the exploration. That's the curiosity part. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the curiosity of of what could be and what you could create and that right that there is no, you know, right or wrong um, of how it's playing out as long as, you know, you're having a choice and, you know, um, and, you know, you have that communication and that that consent. Um, and understanding with the other person and letting it organically unfold. Yeah. yeah. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I would like each of you, if you know of one, if you know of a book that you think is great for taking people into this journey or in this discussion as survivors of sexual assault, uh, if it's okay, we'll start with you, Chris. Sure. Um, I actually have, I have two books. Um, one is a little pocket book. It's called The Little Book of Mindfulness, and it's just one you can throw in your, your bag or even your back pocket. I mean, it's, it's no larger than the largest iPhone, and so it's just a teeny-weeny book you can carry with you. I have found that survivors a lot of time um, struggle with memory. Um, that's one of the, the brain um, changes following assault. So, so to have something tangible with them, they need to have something small. Uh, you know, I give out lists that people can carry and put in their purse, but the little book of mindfulness is great. And then for those that want to dive deeper, um, there's mindfulness skills for trauma and PTSD, practices for recovery and resilience. So those are two really good ones. So we'll get all of that from you and we'll get those in the show notes. Uh, so anyone listening, sure. there'll be links to that and there'll be links to everyone you're listening to, these three brilliant people. There'll be links to each of them also. Susan. Uh, one of the books that I give out actually to my clients all the time, it's called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. I love it's that one. It's a small yeah. book. Um, I, I think we, we go through a process as survivors where um, we stop loving ourselves and we forget to love ourselves through this. And um, I, it's made a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, and that's a super quick read too. Absolutely. Yeah, very quick read. Awesome. Thank you. Jen? Yeah, kind of um, what I consider a classic, um, uh, Wendy Maltz's The Sexual Healing Journey. Um, and just helping folks who want to, um, yeah, get um, some deep sexual healing and to, to reclaim or, or, or claim in a way that they never have before their sexuality and sexual expression. 
Love it. Well, I want to thank each of you for joining us. For everyone listening, we hope you're able to find and be able to enjoy and appreciate mindfulness in your everyday life. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.